Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Desk Strategy. This series helps you cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Hello, everyone. It's been quite a week for global financial markets, with yields and core sovereign bonds rising substantially. At the time of this recording, 10-year yields in the U.S. have have risen almost 25 basis points in the last two weeks. 10-year gilt yields have risen 20 basis points, bonds 15 basis points, and Australian 10-years have risen by a whopping 40 basis points. So it's not just the size of the moves that are becoming a bit concerning, but it's the speed at which they're occurring. Most importantly, in addition to those nominal yield levels that I mentioned, real yields, which is, which is yields adjusted for inflation, are also rising. And real yields are a key input into comparing valuations for a lot of assets, as well as a measure of the impact of the level of yields on the economy. So we watch real yields to see if they're contributing to accommodation or causing some tightening of conditions via the market. And it's that rise in real yields that has made the most recent leg of the bond market sell off interesting because it has the potential to then weigh on risk assets in particular, although so far risk assets have been generally resilient still. It's also increased the pressure on policymakers to respond because if this turns into a full-blown taper tantrum 2021, it has the potential not just to hurt the holders of these government bonds, but spill over into credit markets, equity markets, and raise funding costs for companies around the world. So what can central bankers do though? I'll start with Europe where Lagarde gently pushed back early in the week and ECB chief economist Philip Lane more directly indicated that rising yields can tighten financial conditions in an undesirable way. Lane also indicated the ECB can adjust purchases under their purchase program to quote, preserve favorable financing conditions. Indeed, when you look at the major central banks, I actually think the ECB has the greatest flexibility to respond to rising yields, should they choose to, given the inherent flexibility that they have in their current purchase program. Bank of England's in a tough spot though, and has been noticeably quiet, having just taken negative rates off the table in January. That also leaves more QE as probably the primary option, but that appears to me to be a pretty high hurdle at the moment. The Fed's actually in the tougher spot, I would say probably the toughest spot. Chair Powell did not express concern about the rise in yields this week, instead seeing them as a sign of economic optimism and optimism that the US economy down the road would generate inflation, which is their goal. That may change if these moves continue, however, but if it does, what can Powell even do? The best course of action would probably be to do more QE or extend the duration of QE by bonds that are longer in duration um, with the same amount of money. But the Fed has hinted the hurdle for the more QE is very high and not immediately on the table. The other option is to just plain be dovish, but here's the real irony of the current situation. If Powell pushes rate expectations out further, or says he'll allow an even larger inflation overshoot than the market already expects, it only contributes to this reflation theme that is pushing yields higher right now. Long yields are rising partly unexpected strong demand that will lead to inflation down the road. So if he's dovish and says he's gonna allow even more inflation, he only risks fueling the fire in the current rate market sell-off. So he's in a little bit of a trap when it comes to your standard dovish response. Thus, it's hard to see what the Fed or the Bank of England for that matter can do, well, the ECB may actually have a bit more flexibility to respond. So we'll see in the next couple, next week or so, especially if the speed of these moves continue, if central bankers start to deploy some of these tools or attempt to push back against the rise in yields. On that note, I want to turn to our special guest for today, which is our chief U.S. economist, Kevin Cummins. Kevin, I have two questions, one on growth and one on inflation. Current inflation theme is anchored on the causality that vaccines will lead to reopening, which leads to strong demand, which will lead to inflation all down the road. 
So there's an expectation of future strong data built into the very core of what the reflation theme is. But in the US, it seems like that data already has been strong, that we don't even need to wait for future data. I mean, do you agree with that? Yeah, in fact, um, if you look at across the broad array of data that we've gotten in the last couple of weeks here, I think the market is right in that we, we are already expecting better growth, uh, probably prior to what we're all thinking that second half is going to be really driven by the vaccinations and feel people re-engaging in the economy. And we should start to see uh, better growth rates in the back half of the year. But I, I think we're certainly seeing that in the U.S. in the beginning of this year, you know, whether you look at last week's retail sales report, uh, industrial production was also stronger than expected. This morning, we had uh, very positive durable goods data that suggested that, that CapEx spending got off to a very solid pace to start the uh, first quarter. We saw a drop in jobless claims this week. You know, I wouldn't make too much out of jobless claims can bounce around quite a lot uh, on a week to week basis, uh, especially during the winter months when, you know, inclement weather and that sort of stuff can wreak havoc on these data. But, you know, housing has been very strong. Manufacturing has been very strong. So I think, you know, we just pushed up our Q1 GDP number. Uh, to 9% in the wake of those stronger than expected retail sales data. And I think that overall conditions in the U.S. really are favorable to start off the year much more than expected. A lot of that being because of fiscal stimulus seems to be working. Uh, we saw strength in retail sales, as I mentioned, partly related to um, a very generous seasonal factor uh, that we think it's more of just a kind of a one-off to start the quarter, but nevertheless, it puts a really strong base into Q1 consumption. Um, and, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the economy seems to be um, holding up very well, despite, you know, being on hold because of, uh, you know, people still social distancing and, and businesses really limiting the amount of activity going on. Uh, once vaccinations open up, I think that, you know, we're in for a very strong pace of growth for all of this year. We've got over 6% uh, top line GDP. So for, for the most part, the growth data have been uh, better than expected in the last couple of weeks. Uh, some big numbers on GDP. So it certainly seems like the growth side of this reflation theme is hanging, holding up. What about on the inflation side? I mean, the market certainly is expecting pretty strong inflation down the road to emerge from all this. Do you see a big risk of inflation breaking out this year? Or do you feel like some of the market expectations or some of the chatter out there has just gone too far? Yeah, I think in our forecast, um, we're a little bit below consensus relative to uh, where we expect inflation to go. We do have it gradually rising through this year, uh, but not to a worrisome level from the Fed. I think it's obviously been very difficult to generate higher inflation. And the, the, the market seems to have finally gotten that uh, with at least uh, break-evens, you know, and, 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 and inflation expectations moving higher a little bit. Uh, but if you look at some of the survey-based evidence measures of inflation expectations, they've kind of held within their range. Uh, in our forecast, we don't have inflation going uh, dramatically higher. Uh, mostly because there's still an enormous amount of slack in the overall economy. This is something that Hal touched on. Uh, you know, the unemployment rate may be reported at 6.3%, uh, but by his measure, uh, you know, if you account for all the people who have left the labor force, you're probably closer to 10%. And all the key officials, 
whether you look at Brainerd or Clarida, they're all kind of citing those sorts of numbers. In fact, Brainerd yesterday mentioned uh, those low wage workers, the unemployment rate is above 20%. I think she threw out a number of 23%. You know, that's a depression like uh, number. So I, I don't think that inflation, which is uh, driven, uh, which the labor market is such a key driver of trends in inflation, uh, suggests any sort of real breakout here. Um, but, you know, at, at the margin, we're, we're running very low relative to um, the Fed's medium term 2% target at around one and a half percent. And it looks like COVID has really been a disinflationary force uh, with, with regard to prices and the backdrop. Um, but we do have inflation moving modestly higher and in the year at about 2%. Uh, if you look at the core PCE price index on a Q4 over Q4 basis. So we have it drifting up to that rate, but certainly um, the Fed's going to be much more tolerable and, and hoping to achieve an overshoot on inflation. So, you know, as far as any sort of returning to uh, rate hikes, that's probably still a long ways down the road. Um, and the inflation backdrop don't risk in, in our view that we're going to get there anytime soon. All right. So even though the market's got a lot priced in, I think the key part here is that it's going to take a long time probably to disprove that we're down the road. Um, and probably, again, the Fed staying easy based on that inflation outlook, even in the space, even in the face of that strong demand, which is, you know, again, I think part of all the overall narrative. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you, Kevin, for joining us. And uh, we'll speak to everybody next week. Good luck. Thanks for having me. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Weekly Watch. Please subscribe to our channel to get future episodes. We also encourage you to explore more of our content on our website and other social media channels.